Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. What I want to turn our attention to this morning, and the video showed the whole Holy Weekend. Friday, we celebrated Good Friday, which doesn't sound good. You're celebrating um, a death, a very cr like crucial, very, very horrific death. Um, we celebrate that because Jesus' death was a part, and Scripture says, of God's good plan. It was God's good plan to crush him so that we would have life, and then yesterday was Saturday, and Jesus was in the tomb, and today is Resurrection Sunday, and we celebrate today because it's all about God making a way to restore a relationship between you and I and him. Um, it's not about getting you in church, but it's about understanding the way that is, has been made for you and I to have that ongoing relationship with Jesus, not just so that we can spend eternity in heaven. Like he wants us to have a good life here. John 10.10 10 says that he has come that we would have life and have it how, church? Abundantly, to the full, greater than we could ever dream of, depending on your translation. And we want everyone to experience that. And there's, there's a couple of things that I wanna point out in this Holy Weekend story between Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection on Sunday morning. There are two things that, that happen that help illustrate the way that God has made for us to restore a relationship and to renew hope and to renew purpose. And, and we see in Jesus's death that there's something that happens away from the cross. All the attention is on the cross. All the attention is on our Savior and his suffering, but three out of the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, three of those books describe something that takes place away from the cross in the temple. And this is found in Mark chapter 15, verses 37 through 38. We're gonna take a look at the torn veil and the rolled stone. The gospel writer Mark says this. He says, then Jesus uttered another loud cry and he breathed his last. Verse 38 says, and the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from how? Top to bottom. And so three of the four gospels describe this. And so it doesn't just say a curtain, but it says the curtain. It is a specific curtain, a specific veil, depending on your translation, that, that has a very significant meaning in the temple. See, in the temple in this time, it was, it was divided into areas. And there were only certain areas that certain people could go in. There was the outer courts, there was the inner courts, and there was the holy of holies or the most holy place. And so to be honest, like most of us, we could probably get in the outer courts. Some of us today might be able to go into the inner courts, but there was only one person once a year that could go into the holy of holies, into the holy most place, and that was the great high priest. And when you look at this, this curtain, it wasn't like the curtains you have in your house over your windows. 
Um, it was probably the closest thing that we can wrap our minds around as far as having seen it is when you go to the movie theaters and they have those ginormous curtains on the wall, okay? But even that doesn't do it justice to how massive this curtain was. It was, it was 30 feet wide and about 60 feet high, and it was about the thickness of a man's hand, so about a half an inch to an inch thick. And it was so massive that to move it, it took around 300 people just to move it. And so it says, in this instance, when Jesus breathed his last breath, that it ripped from top to bottom. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever cut fabric, and apparently you have to have special scissors, like fabric scissors to cut fabric. Um, and once I used my wife's fabric scissors to not cut fabric, <laughs> so I was in so much, I ruined her scissors. And so she's like, you can have them. I don't want them now. They're like, they're not good. But it takes this, like a special thing. Like, and so this is a lot of force to take and rip from top to bottom. And it's very strategic in that it's saying that it was not ripped from bottom to top. Because that's saying that's something man could have done. But each of the gospels says that it was ripped from top to bottom. And so the only person that could go into the Holy of Holies was the high priest. One person in the whole country once a year could go behind the curtain into God's presence. And the curtain was there was to protect God's people in one sense from God's presence. Because if you went behind the curtain into God's presence unworthily and in the wrong way, guess what happened? You died. As a matter of fact, kind of a side note, like the high priest had bells on his robe and he had a, 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 a rope tied to his leg so that as long as they heard the bells on the inside, they knew the high priest was still walking around and worshiping. But once the bells stopped, they knew that the priest had probably died and they could pull him out. So imagine going to church and if you're not good enough, you're not leaving unless somebody drags you out. Thankfully, the veil has been torn from top to bottom. And it's not just the priest, come on. It's not just the priest that can come once a day or once a year, but it is all of us that we can come through the curtain into God's presence each and every single moment that we want. And we sang the song at the beginning. He's like, I just want to be where you are. For centuries, we could not be where he was. But now we have the ability because of Christ's sacrifice that we can be with him. And, 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 and what this veil represented, yes, it was, it was protection. It was a barrier. But what it represented was, was an old way of worship an old system. It represented man's sin that was the divide between his creator and the creative. And so we see what happens when Jesus breathed his last breath, the way opened through the curtain, through the veil, so that we could go into God's presence. And Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, it says, and so dear brothers and sisters, we can, what does that say? Boldly, we don't have to be afraid we're going to die. We don't have to be afraid that, 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 that we're not worthy because now, because of what Christ done, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. And I want you to understand, the most holy place is not a place at all. The most holy place can be right here. On Saturday nights, they have parties here and we're cleaning up vomit in the parking lot, and we're like, we're, we're, we're hiding all these smells from you guys. There's nothing holy about a place 
what makes a place holy is God's presence. And so the fact that, that the veil has been torn, we can now go into the holy place, which is God's presence, not because of what we've done and how good we are, but because of the blood that Jesus has shed. It says, by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have this great high priest being Jesus who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts. And when I look at that phrase, let us go right in, it's like you don't have to ask, you don't have to knock. I think about those of us who have kids, um, we lose all privacy when we have kids. <laughs> it's like you're in the bathroom, you're taking a shower, you come out, and like they're not knocking. They're just coming right in, and, and even, even in between services today, and this was just beautiful, and it reminded me of this. The worship team is back here, and, and, and Jonathan is with the team, and his wife, Rachel, comes in with the kids, and they wanna see dad, and she's like, hey, I have this privilege. I have this right because my husband is in here. Didn't have to knock, didn't have to ask permission. She had the right. You and I, we don't have to ask permission. We don't have to knock. We just to get to come right into God's presence whenever we want, not just on Easter Sunday, not just on any Sunday, but on any moment, right, that we want to. And sometimes, though, we wrestle and we deal with this guilt of feeling like we don't deserve to be there. Have you guys ever been somewhere that you weren't supposed to be? <laughs> don't make eye contact. I was like, it's like most of us get in trouble is because we weren't at the wrong place at the wrong time. We were just where we weren't supposed to be, right? Um, but there's these, there's these times where there's somewhere that we want to be, um, and we know like we're not going to get in trouble. And so I had a friend that he owns a restaurant in Henderson, Tennessee, and his food supplier had a suite. Um, at the pyramid for the Grizzlies games. And so he had been telling us for like weeks, he's like, hey, I'm gonna get us into the suite. It's real nice, they've got food. You know, we can watch the game. We can go out like on the balcony and watch. And so we got this date together for, you know, four of us couples to go, my wife and I and another pastor and his wife. And she had a new baby and so the baby came along and then two other couples. And so we've got our tickets and we're all excited about getting to sit in this suite. I've never done that. I've only seen it from a distance and I'm just a poor person just right here, just like with my $2 ticket. And like, I, I get to be in the suite with the food. And so we get there and we have our tickets and they're like, sir, you don't, you don't have a suite. I, but my guy was like, no, my boss said he's here. He's in the suite. And was like, well, just call him. We can get in there. And so he's calling, no answer. Calling, no answer. And so our tickets get us into a seat down, like not on the floor, but like way up from the floor. And so I'm just kind of reserved to the fact that I'm not going to get to be where I want to be. So my wife and I and another couple, the other pastoral couple, we go and we get the seats just watching the game. And the other two couples are getting nachos or whatever. And so they finally call. And one of the guys like, hey, look over your right shoulder. And I'm looking and I don't, I don't see him. He's like, no, look up. And I look up and he is in a suite and he's waving. He's like, you guys, come on, come on up here. And I was like, did we get in it? He's like, just come on, we'll explain later. And so we go up to the suite and it's completely empty. They snuck into the suite. And <laughs> the the... The pastor and his wife who had the baby, it was a newborn, and so she was just like out in the hallway nursing, and one of the workers walked by and said, would you like someone 
somewhere more private to nurse. And so she let her into the suite, but she said, don't let anybody else in here. And so we all go in and we're like, this is incredible. Now, there wasn't the fancy food, but there was a nice like seats and it was all private and we might've taken some bottled water maybe, you know, but then we're like, I'm kind of hungry. Do we want to go get some nachos? But if we leave, they'll see us leave. And what if they don't let us back in? So we didn't get anything. So we just sat there, we watched the whole game and I'm a pastor, right? And then one of the other guys that are on staff are like, you know, this, I feel really bad but this is so good <laughs> to get this. And so, so we're sitting there and it's like, they, you know, the Grizzlies weren't good then and they were playing the Orlando Magic. And, and so we're sitting and the game's almost over and our back's to the door. But then we hear the door open and I felt like I was 12 and my dad had just got home <laughs> and I was in big trouble. And so the lady walked through the door and she was like, uh, what are you doing? And the woman who was the the uh, woman who was breastfeeding, she left. Who was nursing? She just snuck out the back, and so we were all just like, "I told them not to be here. I don't know why we're here. I tried to get them out." But in that moment, I knew I was caught. In that moment, I felt guilty for being somewhere I wasn't supposed to be. And sometimes we come to church and we've had experiences that cause us to feel guilty and we're like we're somewhere where we're not supposed to be because we don't have a ticket. Let me let you know the door is always open for you at Avenue Church. Let me let you know the door is always open in God's presence. Whenever you want, you can walk in. You don't have to ask permission. You don't have to sneak through the back door. You don't have to wonder if you're going to get caught. It is okay for you to be in God's presence. But I think what happens so many times is even though the curtain, the veil has been torn, we have things in our life that put the curtain back up. We allow past sins or current sins or current insecurities to put the curtain back up, to, to put that divide back between us and God that, that he tore down. And then some of us, we allow religious routines and traditions and maybe bad church experiences to put the curtain back up. For some of us, we have maybe had interactions with those who confess Christ with their mouth, but they don't live it with their actions. We put the curtain back up. I'm, I'm guilty of that. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, we have to be really mindful of the things that we say and how we interact with those who are broken and hurting because Jesus has made the way through the curtain and we could unknowingly put the curtain back up. Man, I was a zealous youth pastor about my first or second year and there was this gentleman in the town and we're like small town, like Adamsville, one stoplight. There's more students in my daughter's high school than there are actual people in my hometown. And there was this, there was this guy in his mid to late 20s and, and he was always having parties for some of the teenagers in town and not like birthday parties. These are like weekend parties that he was providing beverages that only he could provide. And I was just like, why are I like doing this? And so I was praying for my kids and praying for this guy. And then one Sunday night, he comes into church. So I'm like, yes, finally. But then I messed up. At the end of the night, we're talking and one of my youth leaders had been working with him and building a relationship with him. And he's there. And, and I knew this guy and, and it, just in my flesh in the moment, I said, man, I was waiting on the ceiling to fall in when I saw you walk through the door. And the Holy Spirit reminded me of that this morning. And sometimes we, 
we miss opportunities. You know what I did in that moment? I put the curtain back up. And so if you're here today and, and what, what curtains, what veils in your life are keeping you from the presence of God? Because anything that we do that adds to the finished work of Christ or takes away from the finished work of Christ is a stitch in the veil that he has torn through. And so it's my heart that on this Easter Sunday that, that, that you would encounter God's presence, not just here because it's Easter Sunday, but on Monday because it's Monday and on Tuesday because it's Tuesday. And he is the God of Sunday through Saturday from morning till night that he is wherever we are and we can be wherever he is. And the holy place is not just a location, but it is in his presence and, and we can come boldly and we can walk right into his presence. What veil is separating you from God's presence? And then so you fast forward from Friday when the veil rips and you fast forward till Sunday when Jesus is is raises from the tomb. And, and we see here in Mark chapter 16, verses one through four, and Jonathan referenced this in worship. It says, Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus's body. And very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, how many of you were up at sunrise to come to Easter this morning? Nobody? Okay, I didn't think so, right? So uh, I might have been. Jennifer's like, I was up. But most of us were not getting up at sunrise when service starts at 11. <laughs> we're asleep until 9, 10, maybe 10, 15, right, so that we can get here. But it says they're up very early at sunrise, and they went to the tomb. And on the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb. See, just two days before, when Jesus was taken down off the cross, it says Joseph of Arimathea took him to a tomb. And the religious people wanted a, a stone rolled in, in, in front of the tomb to seal it because Jesus had had all this talk about it. he was gonna raise from the dead. And, and the religious thought the disciples would go and steal the body to claim Jesus rose from the dead. So they rolled this giant stone in front of the tomb to seal it. And it says, they were having this conversation, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance? So it wasn't just, like this was a conversation. It says they all asked each other. So Mary asked and they talked about it. Then, then another one asked and they talked about it, trying to figure out and problem solve. How are we gonna move this giant stone when we get there? says, but as they arrived, they looked up and they saw that the stone, which was large, what, did, what happened to it? Had already what? Rolled away. Had already rolled away. Now, now you, you, you have to, to picture this like, like it was a giant stone. It was something they knew they would have to problem solve. And to their amazement and to their excitement, it was, it was gone. Now, when they got there and they saw the stone rolled away, it didn't click right then that, oh, he's alive. No, they're like, oh my gosh, what has happened? And so they walk in and they see the tomb is empty and the angel is there proclaiming that he's not here. You're not gonna find the living among the dead, that he is risen. But they didn't know that when they got there. When they woke up that morning and even before that, when they went to bed on Friday night, they had it in their hearts to honor their savior. 
They had it in their hearts and in their plans to continue to follow him. They had purposed in their heart to do something. When they woke up Sunday morning, they did not allow the fact that there was a stone in their way to stop them from going to the tomb. They could have very easily Saturday night, you know what, that stone, we can't move it, so why bother getting the spices together? Sunday morning, they woke up. It's like, you know what, I'm not waking up early. We can't move that stone. I'm not going anywhere. You know what, I'm up, but I'm not going to the tomb because I can't move that stone. If we're not careful, we will allow stones that are covering a hope that seems like it has died to keep us from continuing on the path that God has for us. See, God is still in the business of moving stones and rolling stones away, and they knew that they couldn't do it on their own. And so just imagine in their amazement, and we read this in all black and white without little emotion, but they had just spent a whole, a whole day in mourning, not being able to do anything, thinking, I gotta get to the tomb. I have to anoint Jesus. I have to, I have to honor his body. I have to do what is destined in my heart to do what is, what is in my heart. They don't allow the stone to keep them. But how many of us allow smaller stones to keep us from moving forward in what God's put in our hearts to do? That, that, that we wake up and, and, and for some of us that stone and, and for some of us maybe we've had a hope or a dream or a desire or something that, that we wanted to see accomplish and it died and it's been buried like years ago, weeks ago, months ago, decades ago and there's this giant stone covering it. And we think, well, it's dead and buried. I can't, I can't pursue that. Anymore In 2000, 2009, we had the first dream to plant Avenue Church, and then it kept coming back around, and they were like, I don't know that I'll ever do it. And then we get here, and the pandemic happens, and nobody wants to open their doors to a church, and it's just like one stone after another after another. But now, over a year later, we're celebrating our second Easter because God moved stones that I couldn't move on my own. And there are stones in your life that you can't move on your own. But if you stay faithful on the path in front of you, it could, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sugarcoat and tell you it's gonna be instant, that it's gonna be in a day, in a week. Guys, I know people that are still praying for their stone to be rolled away. But they're staying faithful in their steps. And so I wanna encourage you, I wanna ask you, what, what steps do you need to take? What stones in your life do you need to have rolled away? What stones do you need to have rolled away in your life that's, that's keeping you from experiencing the hope that is there? Is it fear? Is it anxiety? Is it a financial situation? Is it, is it insecurity? Is it doubt? Is it whatever? Here's what I want you to do over the next week is just name it and not claim it. I don't, but I want you to name that stone and ask God to move it for you. Instead of worrying about it, ask God to move it for you. And so some of us, we, we need to walk through the opening that God's made in the veil into his presence. Some of us need to trust that he's gonna move the stone. But there's this gap between Friday and Sunday. There's this gap between Friday and Sunday that, that we don't know a whole lot about. And I sent a text out of your, in our um, database, you receive a text that Jesus died on Friday he rose again on Sunday, but on Saturday, he was silent. And we go through these periods of silence in our life where we feel like God's, God's not listening. We feel like he's not there. 
And, and, and we see that on Saturday, the disciples are forced to rest. In Luke 23, verses 55 through 56, describes this as in verse 55, as his body was taken away. So this, this whole day has transpired. Jesus has experienced excruciating pain physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. His, his disciples have witnessed all this and the trauma that they've experienced. And so his body has taken away. And the women from Galilee, they followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. Then they went home and they prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun. So they rested. Man, have you ever been in those moments where you're doing all that you can do and you're wrestling and you're working and you're doing all that you can do and it doesn't end the way that you think it's going to end? It didn't end for them the way they thought it was going to end. And so in my world, guess what I try to do? I still try to fix it. I'm still trying to work. And, and sometimes it's, it's nonsense work. Sometimes it's work that, that is not even gonna fix the problem. Like I'm an anxious cleaner. I know I've said this before, but when I get anxious and I get worried and I get stressed out, man, I'm wiping everything down. Like, like everything's coming off the counters. I'm spraying it. And so I'm like, I'm a Mr. Clean guy and, and my wife's not a Mr. Clean guy. And so she's like, she doesn't like the smell. And so like, I'm wiping all the counters down and, and Addie or Millie walks by and I'm wiping the top of their head as they're walking by. I'm just like, I'm cleaning everything that I'm sweeping and anything I can do to stay busy so that I don't have to think about it, so that I don't have to worry about it. By law, the disciples could do nothing but sit. Let that settle for a moment. What if you, when your hope, your dream dies, you can do nothing but sit. You can't make any more preparations. You can't try to problem solve. You just have to sit and rest and wait. And that's what they had to do. And, and here's what I know, like in all helplessness and anxiousness, that sometimes that is not just the only thing, but it is the best thing. Sometimes the only thing that we can do between the death of a dream and hope restored is to wait. That's the only thing that we can do. And here's what I've learned in my life. And this is what the disciples experienced, is that while we are waiting, God is working. We can't see it. We may not can feel it. We may not can understand it. But just because he's silent and absent doesn't mean he doesn't care. And so for some of you, you're in this place to where you're needing the veil to be ripped. There have been so many curtains put back up in your life of religion, of hurt, of sin, keeping you from God's presence. For some of you, that's where you're at. You need to walk boldly through the veil that Christ has ripped from top to bottom into the holy place, not church, but into his presence. For some of you, it's Saturday and Sunday morning and your hope has died and, and, and you have this temptation to not stay faithful in your steps, but to push pause because you've got this stone and you're saying, I don't know how we're gonna do it. I don't know how I can do it. You can't but he can. And so what these two things bring together is a renewal of hope. And, and, and we sang about it. 
he keeps hope alive. He keeps hope alive in the mornings, in the evenings, and, and if you're in this waiting period, here's what I want you to remember. Hebrews chapter six, verse 18 through 20. Since these two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. And just, just a little back context of that, what, what, what the writer is talking about is God's, God's promises and his oath. That, that when he makes an oath on his promise, it is on his name. And there is nothing greater than his name. And when he makes a promise that he's gonna do something, guess what? He is a God that does not lie. And so when he makes a promise on his name, that oath is good and that promise is good. And so these two things are in, in, unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. And it says, therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge, those of us who are in relationship with Jesus for safety, he is our safe place. He is our place of refuge, that we can have this great confidence as we hold on to the hope that lies before us. And this is verse 19. Since this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor. And I love those words. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. And these are the last two years, three years, I've not just been so tired, S-O, but I've been soul tired, S-O-U-L. It's just like every fiber within me has been tired and exhausted by what we've all experienced on some level. And, and if, if I did not have the anchor, not of church, but if I did not have the anchor of Christ in my life, I would be all over the place. And, and here's the thing about anchors. You really don't need them, and they really don't, don't, don't prove their trustworthiness until you're in the midst of a storm, and you're in the midst of troubled water. And it's, it's within those times when you drop an anchor and the ship is moving and it wedges under the water in the storm, in the rough seas, it wedges. The ship will drift a little bit around that anchor, but it's not leaving that spot. And so our anchor, our anchor of hope is in Christ. It's not just an Easter Sunday, and I'm glad you're all here, but if we're not careful, we will allow our life and we will come under a new way of doing things, a new religious worship, and we only come to church once or twice a year, three times a year, maybe once a month, when we have access all the time. And so our anchor is hidden behind the veil, and it says this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. And it's not a sanctuary of a place, but it's a sanctuary of presence. And Jesus has already gone in for us. Jesus is our hope. He is our anchor. He is the one who rips the veil from top to bottom so that we can be in relationship with him. He is the one that has rolled the stone so that we can have renewed hope in something that may have died. And so I don't know where you're at on that level. And maybe you're on Saturday and you're like, I just don't know what to do. Do nothing, do nothing but seek God's presence because it's in him we have hope. And I wanna invite the worship team to come back up and, and, and I want us to leave here today knowing that our hope is in him. I want you to leave here today knowing that, that Jesus is alive. And I said this at the beginning, he's not going back in the tomb at the end of the service. He's not going back in tomorrow. He is, li he is alive and will forever be alive and reign. And so if you're here today and you've been on the outside 
of the holy place. You've been on the outside of God's presence because you didn't feel good enough, because you felt ashamed. Maybe you've had bad church experience, hurt by church people. That doesn't change God's love for you. It doesn't change that he wants to be with you where you are in every season. And with every head bowed before we sing, I just, I will always take a moment at the end of every service because I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're struggling through. But I know the one who created you does. This is that all the days of your life were laid out. They're not perfect days, but they were all laid out before you took a single breath. And what we celebrate this weekend is a celebration of him redeeming that relationship with you that was meant from the very beginning. So maybe you have some things in your life that, that break God's heart. We call those things sin, and it's, it's things that go against his best for our life. And because of that, we enjoy it for a season, but one of the repercussions is guilt and shame and insecurity and a complete separation from God. And I want to invite you this morning to walk through the curtain into the most holy place into God's presence because he has made the way for you. He's not waiting on you to do anything. He's already done all the work. And if that's you today, we're just, I wanna invite you, just simply lift your hand just as a sign of surrender, just as a sign of saying, Jesus, I give you my life. I don't have it all together. I need you to help me put it back together. And if that's you, just simply lift your hand with every head bowed and eye closed. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, and I do this all the time. And it's not routine because I believe that, that when you raise your hand, it does, that doesn't save you, but it's acknowledging, Jesus, I need saving. And it's what we do in this next part where we pray, and it's not you repeating after me. It's not my words that save you, but it's yours. It's going to be the start of a conversation. It's not all you're going to say, but hopefully it will be a conversation that carries throughout your life. And it starts with, with saying, Jesus, I give you my life. It's not all you're going to say. Jesus, I give you my life. Sometimes that is the best place to start, a full, total, complete surrender. Jesus, forgive me. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you were buried for me, that you rose again for me so that I can be with you, not just in eternity, but, but have that access even right now. It doesn't matter what has happened leading up to this point? Because from this point forward, here's what scripture says, is that, that all the old things are gone and that you are a new person, a new creation, that you have been recreated, that you have been cleaned and everything has been made new. Can we pray together? Father, I just come to you this morning and I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence. God, I thank you that we have access into the most holy place that isn't a physical location, but it's in your presence. It's in relationship with you. And so many times in life, God, we allow different things and to, to put that curtain back up or we allow so many things to prevent us from 
moving forward in what you've put on our heart because of stones that we can't move on our own. Some that are here today, God, it's the first time they've been to church in a long time and there's nothing special about this building. But there is something special about your presence. So God, I pray that even as as they're praying at their seat, God, they are experiencing your love just surround them. God, that they are experiencing a refreshing and a renewal of your presence in their life. God, to just a weight just to fall off their shoulders. God, we thank you that you have given us a new life-giving way that we can walk right in boldly into your presence. So God, I know that Monday will come and the enemy will try to attack and will try to get us to doubt what has taken place in our hearts today. But God, we seal it by your word. The cross is the final word. God, there are those of us in here just that are following you, but our hope has died, our dream has died, and we feel like it's been sealed with a stone that is greater than what we can move. God, I pray that you would renew that passion in their hearts. God, renew that desire that you put on the inside of them, that flame, that they would wake up early, that they would make the preparations, and they would get on the path that you placed them on to do what's in their heart to do. So, Father, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone says, amen, amen. Come on, let's stand up together this morning.